Good morning and welcome. Uh, appreciate all the prayers this week uh, for the conference. Uh, it was great to get away with the guys, the leadership team. And uh, as usual, the conference is always uh, just a great blessing. As a matter of fact, you can, you can go on to Calvary Chapel Philly's website, and all the sessions are, are on there if you so desire, and I would encourage you uh, to do that. I had to miss a couple sessions myself, uh, so I'm going to make sure I play a little catch-up with that. Uh, so let's turn our Bibles to Revelation chapter 13 this morning. Uh, we'd like to look at verses 1 through 10, chapter 13. If you need a Bible, raise your hands, please. We'll make sure you get one. Okay, would somebody like to get that gentleman a Bible? Okay, Randy's going to do that. I think it's always helpful to follow along visually. Uh, we we want to be Bereans, right? We want to make sure that uh, we're not just going to believe what somebody says. We want to read it for ourselves. Chapter 13, verse 1, John writing here says, Then I stood on the uh, sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea, having seven heads, ten horns, and on his horns were ten crowns, and on his heads were a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power. Uh, his throne and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as though as if it were mortally wounded. And his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered and followed after the beast. And so they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and, a bl and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue 42 months. And then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. And it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe and tongue and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So then, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. And he who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. And here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Lord, we praise you and how we bless and thank you that, Lord, uh, you would call us by the name of saint. And, Lord, that's because of what you did on Calvary. Lord, how we thank you for the cross this morning. We want to thank you for the sacrifice that you made. And, Lord, on this Memorial Day, when we, as a nation, remember those who have, Lord, paid that, that ultimate sacrifice of giving their lives. Lord, uh, we, we thank you for that because we know that spirit of sacrifice, Lord, it comes from you. Lord, uh, you remind us, Lord, in Scripture, that greater love has no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends, and Lord, you laid down your life, Lord, for us, and for anyone, Lord, who would put their faith and trust in you, and we pray, Father, if there's anyone here this morning, 
Lord, uh, that perhaps that would be a question mark in their mind. We pray that today, Lord, you said today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. We pray that if that be the case, Lord, that question could be settled, Lord, in anyone's heart, Lord, relative, Lord, to putting their faith and trust and knowing that their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so, Father, I pray as we, Lord, uh, examine and look at this chapter 13, at least part of it anyway, Lord, that you give us insight. Lord, help us, we pray. Uh, Lord, you said, knowing the things that are coming upon this earth. Uh, Lord, what manner of people ought we to be? And I pray that we be the manner of people, Lord, that would have a love for the lost. Lord, we know so many people who don't know you. Lord, we think uh, uh, relative to foreign missions, but Lord, we've got, we've got a, a, a mission field all around us. And so give us, I pray, Father, as we were, Lord, looking in chapter 12 uh, last week, Lord, um, that, uh, that overcoming principle uh, was, was basically to give the word of our testimony. And I pray that, Lord, we would do that as well. And that, Lord, we'd live sacrificially for you. Lord, what a blessing, what an honor, privilege it is to know you, the, the true and the living God. And, Lord, that's why we're here this morning, Lord, to worship you. Lord, to extol you, to thank you, uh, to, to give you the praise of our lips, the adoration of our hearts. For, Lord, you are truly indeed worthy. For, Father, we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, we entitled our message, message this morning, uh, Who is Like the Beast? And, of course, taken right from the text here. Um, you know, in 13, as we have sort of an expose here, uh, of the work of Satan, uh, what, he, what he attempts and plans to do. We know he's at work today. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but in the future, uh, he plans uh, a, a tremendous coup, if you will, uh, taking over the world uh, by his man. Uh, we would refer to him as the Antichrist. Uh, John does in one of his little epistles. Uh, we have another uh, frame of reference here as we identify him. Uh, he's referred to as simply the beast. And when we think about that very simply, that's identifying not only, you know, biblically as God sees him, but his character, you know, his, his nature, uh, and in a sense what he's like. Now, the world's going to see him very differently. They're going to see him as their, their Messiah. They're gonna, and it's interesting, too, because you can see, even politically today, how people have a messianic complex. They're looking for some person that's going to come along, make all kinds of promises, and hopefully kind of fulfill them. But if you've been around politics any length of time, um, you can't help but being a little bit cynical. Because uh, you know that these guys, uh, yes, that was just a pun, <laughs> a little cynical. Um, we, we know that these guys may have the best of intentions, but they simply, they cannot deliver. Uh, but, we're, but this individual who comes along, uh, as people observe him, he's going he's, he's gonna to look like the guy who can deliver, who can, who can basically put it all together. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, uh, he's going to be Satan's man. And he's going to be a great statements, a statesman. Rather. He, you know, he's going to make incredible uh, strides in politics and in geopolitical politics. 
not just uh, the politics of one particular area. He's going to be able to just sort of unify, if you will, the nations of the world like no one else has been able to do it ever before. An incredible ability that he's going to have. He's going to be a leader. He's going to be a hero to many people. Many people are going to hail him uh, as the individual who has come along who could finally just sort of put things together. Uh, there's no doubt there's going to be some degree of economic prosperity. Uh, we know also, too, that uh, there has to be, um, has to be a collapse of, of the monetary system in order for him to put together a one-world uh, currency or one-world monetary system. And, and we know also, too, uh, that the Scripture tells us that no one's going to be able to buy or sell uh, or do any commerce at all unless they have received that special mark that has been given by him. Uh, so this is very important, um, you know, as we, uh, as we communicate that to our society and culture. Because many people, it's interesting how unbelievers know um, different things about, you know, this coming time. They know different things about the Antichrist. And I think it's important, I would imagine, many people that we know and that we love, we've shared with them Bible verses, and maybe we've given them tracts, and maybe they've read books and that sort of thing. And, and they're going to know when it comes down to it, uh, they're going to be given that ability. Are they going to make that choice? They're going to throw their hat, so to speak. Are they going to uh, capitulate and give in uh, to the demands of the Antichrist? Because we know, uh, particularly even by uh, our text here today, uh, that the church and, and the real people of God, the saints, are not going to give in to that. They're not going to surrender to that. There's going to be, uh, you know, it's interesting, uh, I, I, I see a, a bumper sticker around, and I know what it's about. It's a, it's, did you ever see the bumper sticker, Resist? Uh, some people have it on their lawn. I've seen it on their, and it's basically um, their intention to resist, you know, President Trump. And, uh, but the real resistance that people are going to need to have is the resistance against the Antichrist. And I always kind of throw this in. We know that President Trump is not the Antichrist. Why? Everybody hates him. They're going to love the Antichrist. I mean, they're going to throw the, the red carpet down for this guy. They're going to embrace him and love him. So we know it's not President Trump. Um, every time there's a new president, that's some of the questions, you know, that, that we get. You know, is this guy the Antichrist? You know, kind of a thing. Well, I think, I think there, are, there have been, no doubt, throughout history, Many leaders have come in the spirit of Antichrist, uh, but that doesn't make them the Antichrist. I would imagine, can you imagine if you or I were a believer in the 1930s and early 1940s and to be seeing what Hitler was doing, you would say, man, this is it. This has got to be the guy, but obviously he was not. And um, we, uh, we see that basically that he came, and there's been many throughout history, I think Joseph Stalin is one. Many of the Caesars uh, were individuals uh, of that particular character and of that spirit. Now, uh, Daniel chapter 11 gives us some more insights about this individual. And if you'll turn there, there's a, there's a, a few verses I'd like to, like to read to you uh, about this individual. And one of the things that Daniel does here, he looks at some ancient kings and he borrows something from, from the different individuals. But they make a composite. They make a composite of what the Antichrist is going to do. Uh, the one key individual that we see in history was a guy by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. But there are other individuals as well that Daniel kind of borrows from. And he puts together this composite that paints a picture or a profile, uh, if you will, of the Antichrist and what he's going to be like. 
And again, it's not that we're looking for the Antichrist, but it's important that we know these things because the Bible's teaching us these things. And um, picking it up in verse 21 of, of Daniel 11, it says that in his place shall rise a vile person uh, to whom they will not give honor, the honor of royalty, and he will come in peaceably and seize the kingdom by intrigue or by conspiracy. Um, Hitler did that in the 1930s. Uh, basically by intrigue and you know, by deception, uh, he took over the control you know, of, a, of, a, of a nation, the nation, the key nation of the European nations that brought us the Reformation. Interesting, isn't it? That here was a nation that, that, that God was using uh, and, and really poured out a spirit in an interesting kind of way um, as, as European believers were breaking away uh, from the tremendous influence of the Catholic Church. And this very same nation, interesting, we, we find that produces, uh, produces a Hitler uh, when the, the work of God had basically died out over a couple hundred years. Uh, it says here, with force, and the force of a flood, they shall be swept away before him and be broken, and also the prince of the covenant. And after the league is made with him, he shall act deceitfully, for he shall come up and become strong with a small number of people. Now, verse 36 in that chapter, then the king shall do according to his own will. Uh, he shall exalt and magnify himself above every god and speak blasphemies against the god of gods and shall prosper till the, till the wrath has been accomplished uh, for what has been, uh, been determined shall be done. He shall neither regard the god of his fathers. Uh, some, some translations say the gods of his fathers. Uh, so there's kind of a, uh, a, a split kind of idea. Uh, will he be a Jew or will he be a Gentile? And uh, uh, we don't know exactly uh, that's kind of a debatable point. Uh, there's good, good uh, views on both sides of that. It says, He shall exalt and magnify himself above... Um, I'm sorry, we're in the next verse here. Um, look what also it says about him. Nor shall he desire, uh, nor the desire of women. And, and it's very possible uh, that he will be homosexual. Um, and like many homosexuals, um, he will probably be married, uh, in a sense, to communicate that, you know, he's a very average, normal individual. But I would not be surprised. Uh, look how our world in the last 25 years has embraced homosexuality. Isn't it amazing? You know, like 25 years ago, the, uh, the American Association of, of uh, Psychiatrists uh, claimed that homosexuality was a sickness and a disease. It's only 25 years ago. And it's amazing here uh, that the change that has taken place, you know, in our culture, in our society. And it's, I think it's remarkable for us because um, I, I think, you know, as you look at different cultures in the world, that those things have been sort of, you know, just sort of accepted. And, uh, but it's, it's almost to a point where it's being celebrated um, and, and it just, in a sense, foisted upon everyone. So much so that if you say anything negative in that kind of way, you're easily marked as a bigot. And uh, you might even be dismissed from your job um, if you make uh, certain kind of statements. And I think, too, I think it's important that we be wise. Um, and, and we want to, you know, we, the, the fact of the matter is we want to see homosexuals come to Christ. You know, we don't want to just, you know, point them out as sinners. We're all sinners, amen? Remember what the scripture says, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You know, Paul says about whether homosexuality was some other sin. Such were some of us. 
And so, you know, we want to make sure that we're always, you know, um, inviting people, uh, not pushing people away, but inviting them to the gospel. But again, here, making our point here uh, relative to our text, it's very possible that he will be, the Antichrist will be a homosexual. Uh, Nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all. And in their place he shall honor the God of fortresses or power. And a God which his fathers did not know, he shall honor with gold and silver and precious stones and pleasant things. So it's very possible that uh, he will be um, a Jewish person uh, because we know that Jewish people have always been basically very peaceful. Um, We see that as you see, uh, as you look at what took place in the Holocaust uh, they were basically herded up like a bunch of, you know, sheep, you know, for the slaughter and uh, really gave no resistance whatsoever. And it is true that, generally speaking, uh, when you look at the Jewish people, you know, as a whole, they have always been, um, you know, a peaceful, you know, group of, of individuals. And we even see that today. Uh, you don't see them aggressively uh, taking over uh, other lands and so forth in the Middle East. They only want simply that little strip of, of uh, land that belongs to them. And it seems to be so much of the world is uh, telling them that, uh, you know, that they're oppressors and um, that, that, that basically this is not their land, their property. So anyway, getting back to our, our uh, chapter 13 here, this, this statement here, who is like the beast, uh, it reveals the admiration that humanity will have for this individual. And why is it that all of the tyrants throughout history have had sometimes the most devoted followers that would give their lives for this godless agenda? Isn't it amazing when you look at some of these, you know, henchmen uh, you know, and, and, and people that would just sort of follow them? Um, when you look at some of the pictures of Hitler speaking, uh, it's amazing, thousands of people you know, just uh, worshiping him almost. That, Joe Stalin as well. Mao Zedong. Uh, we see all these individuals, you know, wicked tyrants, and yet having such incredible, you know, and it shows us, what it shows us here, that, that God has des- designed the human spirit. You've got to worship something. If you don't worship the true and the living God, you've got to worship something. And oftentimes, it's another person. It's another individual. We see that uh, taking place in our culture and in our, in our society. Because if we don't worship the true and living God, you, you're going to pick a false God. You know, whether it's a person, whether it's a thing, whatever the case may be. If you, we're designed, God has designed us like that. He's designed us, in a sense, to be followers. He's designed us to be worshipers. Um, and it's only when we truly find him. It's amazing I can look at my own life before I knew Christ, and, um, you know, whenever I was in a group, I didn't like to sing. Did not care to sing. Um, but I remember when I, as soon as I came to Christ, and, and I was in a church where they liked to sing. They really enjoyed singing. And it was like, all of a sudden, in, you know, wonderfully, miraculously, instantly, that was changed in me. This, this desire to just, all of a sudden, because I remember the first, the first Sunday I was in that church, and they're all worshiping, and they got their hands up, and, and man, they're just, they're bellowing, and I'm looking around like, what, what's going on here? Because my, my background was Catholic, okay, and I can remember being in the Catholic church, and 
you know, the priest at a certain point, we, 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 we basically never sang in a choral kind of thing. And when the priest, you know, would say, uh, you know, uh, turn around and welcome somebody, you know, with the sign of peace, and everybody turn around like this. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, when you come to Christ, and when the, the Holy Spirit's filling your heart, you know, it's just something, you know, uh, so transformational. That, that it alters and changes your, you know, your entire being. Your nature has changed. That's what takes place when Christ comes into your life. He gives you a new nature. And, uh, and, and I think it's expressed first and foremost in our love for him. All of a sudden, God isn't some distant figure. We, we realize that he's our God, our Father. And like Jesus said, he's our, he's our, our Abba. So John here in verse 1 he sees the beast sort of rising out of this, you know, the, out of the sea, basically. And, and the sea is representative of, and that's what we talked about in Revelation, there's symbolic things. There's a lot of different symbols, symbolic kind of things. And hopefully we're kind of maybe highlight them as we go through them. But the sea is simply chaotic humanity. And, and that's where he comes out of. He comes out of basically, he's a human being just like you and me. And, he, you know, the Bible says, you know, like, uh, um, you know, the, the, the humanity is sort of like the, the, the restless sea, uh, always shifting, always, you know, always moving in a certain, you know, direction by currents and tides and so forth. That's a picture of humanity. And so the, the Antichrist is going to come out of that. Uh, and, and John here, he says he sees a beast uh, having uh, seven heads, ten horns, ten crowns um, um, on it, on the, on the horns, and on his head a blasphemous name. Now, we find a parallel vision in, in Daniel chapter 7. And remember, Daniel sees, you know, four ancient uh, empires. And, uh, and these empires are symbolized by beasts or by these vicious animals. And isn't it interesting when you look around the world today, every kingdom has a representative or a symbolic animal. Yeah, you know, we have an eagle. Um, Great Britain has a lion. Uh, Russia has a bear. China has a dragon. Uh, interesting how there's this more of a uh, connection, in a sense, with those kind of things as we look at how to represent ourselves. And, uh, and these are vicious animals. These are, these are creatures of prey. And this basically, this is how God sees the world. This is what the world is like without him. You know, just striving, chaotic, you know, violent. Uh, isn't it interesting, with all of our education, we can't stop violence? As we look at, you know, what's taking place in our culture, and our society, um, and, and, and what it will take is a change of the heart. It's not just a change of the mind. It's not just filling the mind with information. The, the life has to be filled with the Spirit of God and the life of God in order for anything to really be changed. Now, as we look at verse 2, he says, now the beast, which I saw, was like a leopard. Uh, his feet were like the feet of a lion, the mouth, uh, uh, feet of a bear, rather, the mouth like the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. So basically, this beast is going to be empowered by the devil. But what is interesting, when we look at this beast here, relative to Daniel's vision of these four beasts, really speaking of these four different empires, this beast and this, this, you know, this leader is going to, you know, he's going to be like them all. In other words, he's going to be a composite of all these ancient kingdoms and the different ability, the different power uh, that they expressed uh, and the control that basically they had. And, and this guy will be the most 
evil, monstrous leader that the world has ever seen. You know, thank God, at least in our lifetime, there have been some horrible, monstrous leaders, but they've been contained. And, and God has done that. He has purposely kept them contained. It, it, it's, and it hasn't, you know, uh, fulfilled his purpose. And when it does fulfill his purpose, there's going to be one individual. He's going, going to be allowed to control the entire world. It is going to be a violent, incredible monster. But people are not going to see him like that initially. I think perhaps uh, maybe as he comes into power, uh, he's given his power you know, by Satan, in a sense, right from the very beginning, but he's going to be very deceptive. And I think it's maybe going to be perhaps toward the end uh, where, he's going to, where Satan's going to come upon him in a full kind of way, and he will be you know, seen for what he really and truly is. But we're able to see that because the Holy Spirit uh, gives us uh, these insights that we find, you know, in Scripture. You know, and sometimes, too, you know, when it comes to prophecy and you read the Bible and you have an understanding of what it's trying to say, you know, you tell people about it and they think, man, you are so far out. It's like, well, man, what have you been smoking? Or what have you been, you know, what have you been snorting? Why do you think like that? Because it's, it's interesting how, you know, we forget the mindset of the typical unbeliever, that we tend to forget that because, you know, we've, we've, we've come to Christ. We've had our mind and our thoughts renewed. But the person who doesn't know the Lord, uh, they simply, you know, when it comes to Bible truth, it's like, really? Is that what the Bible says? Are you kidding me? No, that's what the Bible says. And I remember, too, back in the 1970s when uh, prophetic books in a very large, massive way, began to be written and published. And there was a sort of like an awakening, an awakening to end-time Bible prophecy, like I don't think in any time in history. What many of us seen who were alive back then was it was a great evangelistic tool. Don't, don't be afraid you know, be wise and, and, and pray about it, but don't be afraid to share Bible prophecy. Because the things that we share, people will experience. People will go through. It's, it's, did, did anybody ever share with you some gospel truth? And you weren't ready for the gospel yet, but, but um, you remember what they said to you. Then all of a sudden you're going through something and thinking, wow, all of a sudden that truth becomes life. And there's many people that are going to be here for the day of the Lord after the church is raptured and taken out. They're going to experience that awful time and perhaps maybe something that you or I have shared with them, God will use to just sort of illuminate their need for Him and the reality of what's really taking place. So don't forget to share, you know, the prophetic Word of God. And again, you know, pray, pray about, you know, uh, what you should share I find it interesting, though, you know, we have um, little clips and glimpses um, of, of Bible terminology. Uh, for instance, in Hollywood, we have movies like Armageddon. Uh, we have the number 666. We, we've, we've seen that uh, in, in the movie world. Um, you know, the, the whole concept of an antichrist, we've seen that. And I think sometimes also, too, um, people sometimes know more than we think they know. 
about the Bible because we're not the first person ever witness to them. And uh, remember, the, you know, somebody once said that, you know, when you share the gospel and you share truth, you plant a seed. And someone else comes along and they, they water it. And it gets watered again and again. And then oftentimes, uh, at, you know, when that process has taken place in someone's life, someone comes along and harvests that work of God that's begun in their life. So you may be a seed planter. Uh, you may be a waterer. Or you might be, you know, at that uh, wonderful moment, you know, when, they, when, when you're able to lead that person to Christ and there's a, a harvest that takes place. So we see here there are seven heads, which are seven world empires of the past. We see that uh, from uh, chapter 17. There are ten horns, which are basically ten kings, who are going to be allied with the Antichrist. Chapter 17 also tells us that these kings will not, they will just be leaders that will be allied with them, but they won't bring along a kingdom with them. Uh, they'll be probably handpicked by him, evil individuals, uh, e evil leaders uh, that he'll use basically as his you know, as his uh, cohorts and, and, and individuals to, you know, evil individuals to control uh, different maybe parts of the world. And I saw one of his heads as it had been mortally wounded and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. Now what we have here is a revival because it's, it's believed that uh, um, his kingdom basically is going to be a revived Roman Empire. Uh, that's why it's always been accepted that and believed that he's going to come out of Europe. And uh, when we look at the, the ancient Roman Empire, that it, it basically went from North Africa uh, through the Middle East and all the way across Europe, all the way uh, basically to Britain. And, uh, and, and again, most uh, scholars believe that, uh, you know, that, you know, imperial Rome you know, as it once was. Uh, and it's interesting, too, that when you look at the nations that comprised imperial Rome, that they're still all there. Uh, but they've just, you know, they've never been really, you know, coordinated or really put together. And so, uh, and it's interesting, too, also, when you look at imperial Rome, in a sense, imperial Rome gave way after it fell in the 500s, 500 AD, it gave way to the Holy Roman Empire. Um, even though, you know, before that it was basically imperial Rome. And so there, it's, there's going to be revival of that. We know, ex don't know exactly, you know, I remember back in the 70s when the European common market, it was 10 nations, everybody said, oh, that's it, you know, kind of a thing. But then it became 12 nations and 15 nations and 20 and, you know, so forth. And uh, so we don't know exactly how that's going to happen, but, it, but most scholars believe that it's going to be the revived Roman Empire uh, that um, is going to comprise, you know, the kingdom of the Antichrist. And uh, speaking of, again, one of these heads, uh, going, it's, 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 it looks like it's, going to, it's wounded, but not really put to death and revived. Also, too, there's another interpretation here. Uh, some people believe that this could also represent an assassination attempt and a false resurrection of the Antichrist. That's a possibility. Both of those things. Um, I believe first and foremost is to revive Roman Empire, but it's a possibility too uh, that this uh, mortal wound here, uh, that, that the Antichrist, there may be an attempt on his life, and, uh, and it's as if he's going to be, you know, uh, resurrected. One of the things that we see here in the backdrop of, of, of uh, 
uh, Revelation 13 is that there's a false trinity. There, there's Satan who wants to take the place of God the Father. Uh, there's the Antichrist, the beast. He wants to be the Messiah, but he's a false Messiah. And then you're going to have, and we, we'll see it later in this chapter, you're going to have the false prophet. And, and he is going to be the one who wants to counterfeit the Holy Spirit. And so the, the Satan has always been a great counterfeiter. Uh, that's why, uh, uh, you know, I believe that uh, he has used miracles to deceive people. Um, one of the things that uh, I, I shared with you before, that as a child, my mother was into the occult. And um, she was into Ouija boards and seances and all that sort of thing. And it opened the home to demonic activity. And, and I can remember, uh, I, I, you know, I've shared this before, that I had an experience of astral projection when I was 15 years old. And it scared me to death. I, I had no desire for this. I did not want this. But uh, it happened because of the demonic activity. And that's why I think it is important. What are parents bringing in the home? You know, what are parents allowing in the home? And, and what's happening now, too, is you can get occultic activity to come right through the cable. You, you got stations that are basically dedicated uh, to that kind of subject material. And, and I think, you know, as parents, as Christian parents, we need to be very careful. We need to be very careful what we allow in our home. Um, you know, I, th I, I guess uh, I don't have, uh, you know, cable with all the channels or, or, or um, what do you call it, the satellite but I guess you can put some kind of protection on that and block out, you know, certain stations and so forth. And I think that's, I think that's important in, in wisdom for Christian parents uh, to do that. Because it doesn't take much, I think, to begin to stimulate uh, the imagination of a young child, you know, relative to the supernatural. Um, the, the supernatural is real. The, 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 the demonic realm is real and it's powerful, and it sucks in, it pulls in a, a lot of people. I, I think more than anything, the, the, the drug culture of the 1960s opened the door, opened just like boom. Just opened the doors to it in a very big way, where people thought, you know, they, they, they take some kind of a, some kind of a hallucinogenic drug and all of a sudden they're seeing things, but little do they realize they're tapping in to a demonic spiritual realm. And, and, the, and the enemy is going to take advantage of that and attempt to destroy them in some kind of a way. Uh, was it John Lennon, because of all of his LSD trips and so forth, he, said, he, he testified at one point that the spirits would just fly through him. That, that, that the, 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 you know, the, the demon spirits would just fly through his, through, his, through his life. I think there's many people that that very same thing has happened to uh, as they've opened themselves up. And again, Satan is very, is, is very careful. And again, as you look at verse 4, they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worship the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And again, over the last 30, 40 years, I think there's been a revival of, of occultism, whether it's astrology, astrology rather, uh, witchcraft, Satanism. But after the, after the rapture, this stuff is going to take an exponential and a rapid leap. Because the Holy Spirit won't be restraining it. Now, it's, remember this. It's not that the Holy Spirit, after the, you know, the rapture, is taken off the earth. 
he's still here. He's still working. Remember, he's saving people. But his restraining work has stopped. The hindrance of evil. In other words, here's what God is saying. God is simply saying to the world, you don't want me, so I'm going to give you what you want. That, that's basically what the Lord is doing. He's basically turning, just like the Bible says, when you look at uh, Rev, uh, excuse me, uh, Romans chapter 1, when you look at the descent of a society and culture, that's why when you read chapter 1, you'll see what takes place you know, in that chapter, and it's a description of the descent, the moral decline and, and implosion of a culture and a people and a society. And it says there three times, God gave them up. God gave them up. It's just like in a sense that when you have, say, as a parent, when you have a wild child, and that child is just not going to listen to anything you say, it doesn't matter what you say or what demands, I don't care, just like a, a total rebel, what do you do? You've you got to give them up. And you, and you do it in love. But what more can you do other than pray for them? And so God, in a sense, is what he's doing. He's just basically, okay, saying, okay, here's what you want. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to turn you, know, you over to that very thing. And the spirit of deception here will be poured out in such an incredible uh, and, and, and horrific way. And notice what it says here. They're going to they're worship the Antichrist. They're going to worship this person. But interestingly, behind it, behind it, they're worshiping Satan. You know, people will basically adore and exalt him as divine. They will think that this is it. There have been, there have been cult leaders. There have been religious figures that basically have been inspired by Satan and people. People... You know, people thought, wow, this is it. This is, this is you know, basically, this has got to be the Messiah. I, I remember uh, a man who wrote a book. I forget his name. He became a Christian later. But he was, uh, he was you know, he, he went to India uh, to study under some guru. And it was amazing to him. He said, These were there were people there from all around the world, businessmen, brilliant individuals, college, you know, college-educated individuals basically were filling the room. And, and he describes this in his book. It was the, the guy was the, 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 the false prophet, the guru was Sai Baba. If you've ever heard the name. And they're all sitting in the room. There's a picture up there of him, the picture up there. And this was the man's testimony that at some point he just got up out of the picture and walked into the room. I, I think that kind of stuff is just satanic miracles to, to impress people, to, to get, you know, basically to. To, to get people to worship the occult. And, and when they do. Now these people are worshiping you know, this man, this incredible man who's kind of put everything together. But in effect, as we see, verse 4 tells us, they're worshiping the dragon. They're worshiping Satan. Uh, look at uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And Paul gives us here a, a nature, the nature basically, of this deception. Look at verse 7. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness, or if your Bible says iniquity, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. 
Hey, when you look at these school shootings, people, you know, it, it, it's tragic, isn't it? It's tragic because we almost expect it now to happen every week. Are, are some policemen being shot down in the street? Now, we know from the Bible there's a mystery of lawlessness and iniquity that is taking place in our world today because people, when it touches their life, go, why, why, why? It's what happens when a nation and a people turn from the living God and turn from truth. It's unfortunate. It's sad. But when people turn, and it doesn't mean necessarily us, but, but collectively as a nation, when, when you turn from the true and the living God, what do you got? Nothing. Now he says here, only he who now restrains, speaking of the Holy Spirit, will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one, that's another name for him, the beast, the Antichrist, the lawless one, will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. Notice this, with all power, signs, and lying wonders. In other words, his, the, his coming is so incredibly miraculous that people are just so convinced that this has got to be the God-man. This has got to be the real Messiah. They will be absolutely, and if any of us were unbelievers, we would probably be convinced as well. People say, how, how can anyone have such power? And it's interesting, Jesus spoke about his rejection. He said, there's one coming you will receive. He will come in his own name, and he's referencing the, the Antichrist. You'll receive him. The, the, the world will receive him. And yet he will be evil. And, and the merciful Savior coming to save all men was rejected and put on a cross. Speaks, about, speaks much, to, doesn't it, to the darkness in the human heart, the blindness of the human heart. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Now notice here, he, gives, he tells us why. Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. You see, when somebody rejects the truth that Jesus Christ is the Savior. Or they reject Bible truth. That's one of the reasons why when some tragic thing happens... People say, how can this happen? Why do people do this? Folks, here it is. We're sinners. We're sinners. We need a Savior. We only know that because we've gotten saved. But I know if you have a conversation, if we have a conversation with anybody, and you tell somebody you're a sinner, okay, buddy. Because... In, in, the, in the cultural mindset, a sinner is some murderer. You know, some Hitler kind of guy. And isn't it true? That's a hard pill to swallow. That's a hard pill to swallow. But I'll tell you what, it's a blessed revelation. Because when you follow it, it's like, I can't help myself. 
I can't help myself. But Jesus can. Jesus will come into my life. He will save me. Before you realize you need to be saved from the devil, you know, you need to realize you need to be saved from yourself. <laughs> and again, that, that's, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a horse pill to swallow. That's a big one. But once you do, once you realize that, yes, I'm a sinner, it's like, was it John Bunyan said? He discovered that he said, yes, I'm a great sinner, but he's a greater Savior. And if we will turn to him, he will wonderfully redeem us and save us. Looking at verse 11 of 2 Thessalonians 2, For this reason God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in righteousness. You see what happens when, when, when a culture and a people or an individual does not receive the truth. What do you got left? A lie. a lie and that's why people will choose the false messiah when you reject the true messiah the one who loves us the one who died for us the, the one that's called us into relationship you know, with himself now we are in verse uh, 5 here he was given a mouth speaking great things blasphemies he was given authority to continue 42 months you know, many men have been given you know, throughout history, been given, you know, power by Satan. And, and they were rebellious, and they, they oftentimes led these godless movements of men. Uh, and we find that, uh, you know, he, he, these last 42 months, this last three and a half years, when all hell is going to finally break loose. Uh, aren't you thankful that all hell breaking loose has got a shelf life? And again, it's, it's God's mercy. Remember we talked about the, you know, there's a, the day of vengeance. The Bible speaks about the day of vengeance. Th that, that shortens it, the day of vengeance. But then he speaks about the year of acceptance. And it's been 2,000 years, that this year of jubilee, where, where God has been welcoming people into relationship with himself. But praise God in his mercy and his grace. He only allows it to be seven years. What a merciful God. What a gracious God, but a 2,000-year window of favor and invitation and grace where God is simply saying, come in. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those uh, who dwell in heaven. See, ultimately, you know, these men that God, that the, the devil raises up, you know, throughout history, uh, you know, they're always against God. They're always against God. They're always against God's people. And I think it's interesting here because where it says those who dwell in heaven, there's an alternate translation here also too that, that says those who tabernacle in heaven. Doesn't Paul tell us that we are citizens of heaven even now? It's in Philippians. I think Philippians chapter 3. Chapter 3 or chapter 4, I'm not sure. But, but he says we're citizens. In Ephesians chapter 2, he says what? we're seated in the heavenlies. Aren't you thankful God has invited you into his tent? That you're tabernacling with him? You're in relationship with him? That's why I tell you what, that's why the world comes against us. 
because of our relationship with him. And no matter what happens to you and I presently, it'll all be over soon. No matter what the worst possible tragedy, we have an eternity with Christ. This life, you know, Jesus said this life is but a vapor. And we need that, we need that eternal perspective because we tend to nest and live for the here and for the now. This life is but a vapor. It'll be over sooner than we, we think. You know, Margie and I sometimes laugh at ourselves because we we refer to sometimes to old people. And we laugh because we're old people. <laughs> we are old people. But you know, isn't, isn't old age a moving target? Like when you're 20, 40. Yeah. I, I remember when, you know, even like when you're a teenager, guys are in 20, they're the old heads. Or when you're 30, it's like 50. Whoa, wow. That's really out there. But, but now that I'm in my 60s, it's the 80-year-old people that are old. <laughs> you know what it is? It's denial is, is really what it is. Our citizenship is in heaven. It was granted to him, verse 7, to make war with the saints and to overcome them. That's interesting, isn't it? That the, that the tribulation saints in many respects, will be overcome. It's not for you and I, though. See, we have a wonderful, we have a, we have a, we're in a different age, a different time. We've got a wonderful promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And again, no man has ever had superpower status with himself like this guy here. And his, his objective his target is the saints. He's going to make war with them and to overcome them. These are basically those that have resisted and refused his mark. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. You know, the devil always goes after the true worshipers. He doesn't, you know what? It's interesting, too, that he doesn't seem to go after carnal Christians. I remember having a, a debate with a brother one time, and uh, the debate was simply this. Um, do you believe in carnal Christians? And I said, yeah, and he said, no. And, and he said, you're either saved or not saved. And, you know, I just don't, I think that's an extreme position. Because the Bible addresses carnality in Christians. But, you know, the devil doesn't go after carnal Christians because they're already on a trajectory that's going down. And as a matter of fact, they're a good advertisement for him, for his kingdom. That, that's why the devil works so hard to get Christians. Here's, here's, the, here's the, the mindset of what's going on in, in, in Christianity today, in many circles, not all, but many. 
that in order to relate to people, that we have to lower the standard, we have to compromise. In other words, and, and it's okay to drink. There was a big cutting-edge church on the West Coast. I'm not going to mention the name of it. I, I can if you want me to privately. It was huge. It was like 15,000, 20,000 people. They kind of just took off over, overnight. But you know, on their men's day, they had a beer tent. Because why? We want to be relatable to everybody. And you know, the world is interesting because they're a lot smarter than we think they are. Because if I'm carrying on just like the world, the world looks at me and says, why do I need Jesus? Why do I need Jesus? Because you do everything that I do. And that's why it's important that there needs to be in our life separation. And the Holy Spirit will guide you individually, each one of us individually, in those particular areas. And you will find the Holy Spirit saying, I don't want you to do that. Well, you know, and sometimes we, we, you know, we kind of debate with the Lord. Well, brother, so-and-so does that. And it's like the Lord says, I don't care what brother or sister so-and-so does. I don't want you doing that. And you're going to find that the, the, the Lord's going to discipline you. In other words, train you in an a interesting kind of individual way. And it's not a matter of, I, I think, you know, like if we got certain convictions in our life, say like, let me use the example of Pastor Chuck. Pastor Chuck never went to a movie in his life. But you never heard him preach that. Never heard him preach it. Now, if that was the case in my life, I never went to a movie, and I start saying, you guys, you're terrible sinners. You're all going to the movies. That's legalism. But if I have strong personal convictions, and I think as believers, we need to have those, that I'm not preaching my convictions. I'm preaching the gospel. And when it comes to those personal areas of discipline and conviction, I'm you know, personally being obedient to the Holy Spirit. Uh, I know believers in this church, they have convictions about what they watch on TV, so therefore they don't have a cable, they don't have a, a, a satellite. There, there was a man who was in our fellowship many years ago. Um, I, re, I respected this man uh, greatly. Uh, some of you remember Al Plotzker. And I was sitting down. Uh, uh, Al got a um, prognosis that he was going to pass in just a few weeks. And I remember going over to his house and sitting on his back porch with him. I never knew this about Al because it was his personal conviction. And he said, I just don't watch TV. I never watch TV. Oh, wow. It convicted me. <laughs> and he wasn't laying a trip on me. He just, you know, it just came out in our conversation. Maybe, maybe it was something I was asking him. But I commended him for that. I commended him for that, that, that conviction. But I think we all need to have certain convictions, don't we? About what to do, where to go. You know, what, what I do and do not practice. Not laying the trip on somebody else, making them feel guilty because they do it. 
but just holding those kind of convictions, you know, in our lives so that we glorify and honor the Lord. But we need to move on here. And all who dwell on the earth, and this is a contrast between verse 6, these are all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life, uh, the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. You know, I thought this was a, I read something very profound relative to this statement of the Lamb. You've, you've heard that many times. You've heard it preached, you've read it. About the Lamb, Jesus Christ, who was slain from the foundation of the world. It's interesting because we know at a certain point in time he was slain. But the impact and the, and the, the power of that act there was a pastor commentator by the name of Ray Stedman uh, made an incredible profound statement and I want to read it to you and he says this he says now let's focus on the implication of this statement the timeless eternal dimension of the cross of Christ notice that phrase the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world this statement confirms again that time is not a factor in eternity the death of the lamb actually took place in time on earth at a specific date on the calendar, yet it is reckoned here as an eternal event, which has meaning for people who have lived ever since the beginning of time. That is why an Old Testament saint, such as Abraham, could be born again by the grace, excuse me, born again by grace through faith, just like a New Testament saint. Even though the tree, uh, which would have been hewn into the cross of Christ, had not even been planted as a seed in Abraham's time. The death of Jesus Christ was an event that can be fixed at a particular set of coordinates in space and time. Yet it is also the summit of God's eternal program, utterly transcending both space and time. Thus the cross cast a shadow over all of time, all of creation. I love that statement. It's so incredibly profound. And just like Abraham looked forward, Remember, Abraham was before the law. There was no law when Abraham. And he looked forward to, remember the lamb being sacrificed? He looked forward to, to, because he believed in sacrifice, he was looking forward to the cross, the ultimate sacrifice in Christ. Not knowing what you and me know. Yet he was saved, wonderfully saved. And just like you and I look back, we look back 2,000 years at that event. It's an eternal event. And whosoever, because God has declared it so, will believe in that sacrifice for them personally, they will be saved. Do you know of a better deal than that? I sure don't. That's an eternal deal that begins here and now. Here are some familiar words of Jesus. We'll close with these. Anyone who has an ear, let him hear. Let him listen. Remember, faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by listening, but also too. It doesn't stop there. Faith comes by hearing and listening and acting upon it. He says, who leads into captivity? Who leads others? into captivity. There's um, a twofold message here in verse 10. 
He who leads leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. And what the Lord is saying here, to those who would practice any evil deeds, to those who basically would cooperate with the program of the Antichrist, that there would be considerable and serious consequences for standing with him. But secondly, here's the other message, and it's an encouragement to the faithful. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. In other words, God is simply saying this. Hey, guys, hang in there. Hang in there. You're going through some difficulty right now? Maybe you have some tribulation in your life. It's not the great tribulation, okay? We tend to think it is, right? We tend to think, man, I got the greatest. I, I'm in the trial of my life. Maybe, maybe you are. Keep looking to Jesus. Keep trusting him. Don't surrender to the pressures around you and the pressures of this world. You know, the Bible says, Job says, the triumph of the wicked is short. I love it when I come across verses like that because I need that perspective. Because sometimes it seems like evil goes on and on and on and on. The triumph of the wicked is short. Paul said this, he always leads us in triumph. See, that's for you and for me. That's for the believer, for the child of God. He will always lead you and me into triumph. Jesus said this, These things I have spoken to you, that that in me you may have peace, but in the world you'll have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Paul said this, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He, just, he gives it to us because what? we've trusted him. We, we, we believed him. And Paul says, thanks be to God for that. And John said, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. See, it's our faith, our trust, our reliance, our looking to him. And he goes on to say, John goes on to say, he, who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Amen. Before we pray, Sarah, you can come up. Before we pray, I just want to ask you, if you've got a trial or something going on in your life and you want prayer, and maybe it's been a long-standing trial or a situation, or you just want to reaffirm or commit your life to Jesus Christ in a new way, would you please stand? I want to pray for you as we close. Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your marvelous grace. Thank you for your love, the love whereby you came from heaven. You came to this earth. Lord, you took our judgment, our punishment our sin. You've given us pardon, Lord. Lord, how we thank you for the blessed forgiveness that we have in and through our Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray for anyone this morning, perhaps maybe it might be the first time, where they're opening up their life to you. God, I pray you bless them. Lord, I pray you'd encourage them. Lord, meet with them and minister to them in a very special, unique, individual, personal way through your Holy Spirit. 
And Father, for those, Lord, who, who just need fresh faith today. Lord, it doesn't take much for this world to beat us up. And Lord, many of us have circumstances in our lives right now. Lord, that have been ongoing for some time. Lord, dealing with difficult things and things that would be impossible were it not for you. Lord, we pray you would impart grace. Lord, we ask you, Lord, to, to minister in a fresh way. Sometimes we, we're, at, we're at a place, Lord, where we feel we just can't take any more. But then you come in, Lord. You come in by your spirit. Lord, you buoy us up. Lord, you wrap your arms around us. You love us. And I pray for anyone this morning just needing that reaffirmation of a sense of your love. Lord, I pray that your spirit would just bear witness in their heart, Lord, of your great love and your purpose, Lord, that you're presently working out. We love you, Lord. Thank you for this time. Go before us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.